0: All right, another episode of Reinforced Running Podcast coming directly to you. For our intro, very special intro today, we have John Williams here.
1: I'm, I'm part of I I got the, uh, the, the nod for the intro. So I'm super excited, but I'm also nervous.
0: Yeah, we had a little brief, brief discussion one second ago about like, oh, what, what are we going to talk about during this intro? I was like, oh, we'll just figure it
1: out. We'll wing it, just yep. like we always do. We're just
0: doing it. Um, <laughs> so today on the podcast, we had guest uh, John Goldthorpe. Um, and John, did you know this is the second per- we've had a Williams, and now we've had a John with Jesse Williams, and now we had. So we're getting yeah. All well, Jesse names. is
1: like obviously he's a JW. and He's that's just, I didn't you even know.
0: I honestly didn't think of that. And, and so, his last
1: name is the same as mine too. I didn't, so think, I didn't think about that until, like days I feel later. like in a weird. We used to say in a weird, strange way, like we were like just I have this weird strange connection with Jesse That's not just the name but like it's just there is a weird thing going on there but really John nice. was great John was had a lot of really great information j- John Goldthort N- Throp j- Throp is it uh, th- throp.
0: throp Yeah okay. no e- and uh, j- yeah yes. I mean
1: and, and it definitely uh just eye opening and I, I thought the conversation um you know especially with runners and their concerns about um injury prevention and injury um uh, or, or, or just uh, getting over injuries. I thought it had a lot of really great information. For sure. And so John
0: Goldthrup is a local personal trainer, and I've been calling him a movement specialist right here in Philadelphia. And I had the pleasure of going to see him and utilizing his services, which include um, NKT and this other thing that he studied called Anatomy in Motion, which is kind of a, a cutting-edge movement and um, – like skill developing practice, I guess you would call it, uh, where he, he watches you move and then identifies where you might not, might or have forgotten how to, how to move. So in, in my case, it was an ankle sprain that we do talk about during the Um, podcast, but I wasn't properly supinating out, and it led to all sorts of, like, foot issues, and then it manifested on the opposite side into some, like, real tight quad, knee and hip stuff, and since seeing him, um, less, maybe about a month ago now, I've felt, like, tremendously better, and he speaks really well to it, like, you can tell he really studies this craft, and yeah, it's stuff that you might not have ever heard of or
1: ever really considered, um, and once, you, once you, he dives into it, I think he does a really good job of explaining it. I mean, the moral of the story is is, is you have these you have the symptoms, and sometimes you're so focused on the symptoms, but I, I like the way that um, the, the, the theories behind a lot of the things he's practicing are, are focusing on those things that are causing the symptom. Obviously, we're not going to avoid the symptom and making sure we, we remedy that, but we are going to be looking at some of the things that may lead to those so we can we can not only make it better now but avoid it in the future. Um, and he had a lot of insight as far as um, that is concerned. So like, keep listening if if that sounds like it's something. And most runners are probably going to relate, for sure. And keep listening anyway. Uh, so <laughs> we, we have uh, to listen.
0: You, you now have to listen. You're already <laughs> here. So um, for sure, we'll we'll get to John. But before we do, I uh, just want to remind you guys to please rate and review. It helps us out a lot. Um, and hit subscribe so you can get these uh, directly into your podcast feeds. And uh, if you, uh, just a reminder for you guys as well, we do specialize in premium uh, online run and obstacle course racing. So if you have a race coming up, uh, or if you finished a race and now you're looking to build on some of the progress that you've had, or have come across some struggles leading into the next season, uh, definitely reach out to us. Uh, you can check out the website reinforcerunning.com, um, or all the information will be available for coaching services. Okay, we are on. What's going on, everybody? Uh, today we have super special guest. His name is John Goldthorpe. John, what's up, dude?
2: How's it going? Pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome, appreciate it. And always we have John Williams. Double Johns today. John Williams, what's going on, man? What's going on, everyone? So good to be here as usual. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. We had a, a bit of a um, hurricane scare. Is that what's happening in your part of the world?
1: Yeah, it was a it was a, a dodged bullet. Um, but we, uh, we got out of town just to, just to be, maybe, just, maybe it was part us being new to Florida and not one, and, and just kind of the newbies. Um, we were overstocked and over ready because <laughs> it was just, our first, first time dealing with it. But we also have two young kids and didn't want to have to deal with the boredom of probably just sitting around and waiting the thing out. So we, we headed across town. So thanks for covering there for me, Rich. So
0: does like... Like what kind of supply? Like we're just loaded up on water and like candy. It's crazy.
1: Like take take what you like. Take the, the snowstorm up north and multiply it by thirty. I mean, it's like just the craziness. You mean like people uh, going like nuts gathering supplies? You couldn't find a bottle of water for like miles. It was just yeah, bread and the, you know. Obviously, the big scare here is is um or the biggest the, the worst part about it is really like power. If you lose power, you know, obviously the flooding is it could be the storm surge, but then there's the the if. The, you lose power for two weeks like you're really and the the water goes out too so we had both of our tubs filled up we had (laughs) you know i don't even know how much water like 30 gallons of water and we're sitting here like what are we doing like we've wanted to been wanting to visit tampa like let's just go across the state and just explore we found a really cheap airbnb and and just hung out and as it turns out the storm turned north the second i pressed like buy the the apartment or the Airbnb, they changed the forecast that it was gonna. But at at that time, it was headed right for us. I mean, and, and as you can see, there's there's a big campaign down here to raise mo- raise money and bring people in, uh, bring in some uh, just supplies for the Bahamas now. So uh, you know, it was a nasty storm, obviously, just really really bad out there. But yeah, I'm glad to have come through it, um, and we're back. So like, yeah, at least at least you've got the experience
0: of how to prepare without the real thing I was like uh,
1: you did you did all the work and just didn't like s- see it through the biggest thing is this is like so and not to get, go too much into this but like but I don't know if you guys remember Irene kind of was, was a really big scare and it really nothing came of it they closed down the entire I was living in New York City at the time um and was, they closed on the subways, and it was like, oh, yeah, like, Irene. And then Sandy was coming, and everyone was kind of like, oh, yeah, we've been here before. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I do, I don't so you've know got to be careful, ever. like, of not being like, oh, man, we went through all this. You, ca- you just have to be ready. Like, these things can really – they can just sneak up on you. Um, you can't so. underprepare people. That happens
0: to the snow, too. was no. like, it's going to be huge. It's going to be – feet of snow it ends up being a couple, like, a dusting. But it, it's just their asses are on the line. It is
1: amazing we were able to put a man on the moon – 60 plus years ago 70 plus years ago or whatever it is now it's 50 60 years and we can't predict what a storm is going to do that's 100 miles away um it's just i know i understand let's get to the, compl- the bottom of it let's 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 work this out let's work this all out john of course you didn't come here to talk about the weather um well, so- <laughs> well
2: funny enough i did start as a meteorology major <laughs> Dude, is that oh, true? there you go. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but uh, quickly found that that was going to be an epic struggle, so I changed to kinesiology and
0: found much more success. <laughs> that's awesome because that's uh, you went to Penn State, right, John? I
2: did, I did because meteorology is a pretty strong program. I there. was
0: just going to say I, I knew that that was a strong, like selective really? program there. Yeah,
2: interesting. Yes.
0: Um, well, cool. All... So you switched to kinesiology. So what? Uh, and now you're and now you're here. So. Um, Give us a little bit more of a background of of who you are. Just kind of give us your elevator pitch, let people know who they're listening to. Um, So yeah, I'll let you take it away.
2: Yeah, so I was a um, kind of a year-round high school runner, a little bit of a slacker early on. I never really ran in the summer. Then I would come into cross-country camp, get my butt kicked, get into really good shape, and then sort of, you know, blow up at the end of the season because I never had a base. Um, (laughs) But I I sort of always identified as a runner. Um, I did go to Penn State. uh, Ended up studying kinesiology. I sort of discovered pretty quickly that was the route I wanted to go when, when my grades went from very very average in in meteorology to then you know acing most of my courses in kines. And mainly, um, I've just always sort of had that love for movement, whether it's running or 35 other sports. Um, And so after I graduated, I sort of. You know, I was pleased with that education, but I just really didn't know what I wanted to do with it. So while I quote figured things out, I became a personal trainer. Mm. Well, about six six months to a year of of that, and I, I was like, wait a second, this is this is so fun. I'm helping people. I'm using my knowledge from um, exercise science, and uh, you know, the money's not too bad either. And so this seems like a win-win-win. So I sort of just uh, continued doing it built up a pretty decent clientele here in Philadelphia, and at some point, um, I remember I was saying how I was identifying as a runner, I kind of just wanted to, um, uh, I I just dove in, and you know, I sort of had some regrets from high school, I'm like, yeah, I never really reached my potential, so I started training, and uh, studying more about running, and at some point, I thought, it just makes sense, geez, I'm a personal trainer, why don't I help, uh, you know, clients who are interested in running? So I, like a lot of running coaches, I got a running coaching certification um, and started coaching runners and putting together training programs for them. And at some point, um, I sort of became frustrated because, not you know, the training I I, I would have told you it made sense on paper, and uh, the clients I think they would have also told you that. It, we weren't overdoing things, but I started to become frustrated when a client would get injured, and I didn't really know why. So at some point, it was, it was clear to me that I needed to learn more. I was missing some piece of the puzzle. So I, I encouraged all of my running clients to strength train, and uh, that was sort of my, my niche. was basically, I'm a personal trainer who helps runners. I'm a running coach who helps them strength train. And sure enough, a lot of the runners became much more resilient, and uh, it it was quite successful. So uh, as I continued, I still sort of had this sense, and I think this is probably going to continue (laughs) forever. Excuse me. But you kind of just have this sense that you don't have all the answers, and I just wanted to keep learning more because I thought, you know, Okay, uh, strength training—that's certainly helping them, but yeah, man, there's still people getting injured, and it's not really answering the question of why are they getting hurt on one side of the body? Um, why is the one calf hurting? It, it, something, something isn't clicking here. So, at some, uh, as a trainer, uh, I was also interested in helping my general population clients move better and uh, sort of get rid of their aches and pains as well. And and strength training is great for that, but uh, again, you sort of need to look learn a little bit more. So I studied something called the functional movement screen. And that basically was the rabbit hole for me. (laughs) It sort of, it it opened up my eyes to the different possibilities uh, that are out there and how you can look at somebody a little bit more holistically and and see how one part of the body is influencing another part. And from there, it's just been a a continuous stream of um, education and, and trying to understand more about why people are moving the way they do understanding about how and why they're compensating and how to help them get out of that situation and uh, what I'm finding is that it's quite possible to to move past some of these frustrating compensations that are usually at the root of people's issues so that's where I'm at today is I basically have two sides of my business and sometimes they blend together really nicely I have an online coaching practice and then I also have an in-person assessment practice where I'll see runners They don't have to be runners. You can be anybody who who moves. Uh, But most of the time, runners will come to see me because they're having some sort of frustrating issue. Something's always tight. Something's a bit painful. They've ruled out medical red flags, like it's not a stress fracture or something worse. And they're just uh, super frustrated because they've sort of tried a lot of things, especially strength training. They've tried foam rolling and stretching and all these different massage and things like that. And they're still having issues. So that's where I come in.
0: For for sure, and that's essentially kind of how we reconnected. Like, I knew who you were just being in the city. Um, You know, we touched base a couple of times, and and some of the people who I've spoken to had had seen you. uh, One or two people who I had actually, uh, who I was coaching online, had had seen you and spoken really good things. And um, I was kind of along those lines. Like, you know, I figured I was dialed in with strength training, you know, mobility, nutrition, all that stuff, and I was was still just kind of like hanging on by a thread, And (laughs) that finally broke And I was like, alright, well I just need to really focus on Figuring out what's going on And just getting um, Just getting better And and that's when I went to go, go see you And I've been like blown away With the results that I've seen And I've literally been telling like everybody i know so i'm like real excited right. to kind of dive into this a little bit more
2: yeah. well i sincerely appreciate that because uh i i noticed a couple of people contacted me and mentioned your name so thank you so much
0: yeah dude i can't shut up about it it's it's, awesome. <laughs> it's um and some of the things that you know i've kind of been telling people that you're like a movement specialist as well as a running coach obviously yeah and you do a couple of these things like the um like MKT, MKT specifically, sure. and that's on your website. So, mm-hmm. what is that like? Why yeah. and like how has that opened up your eyes? Because like the FMS, um, the Functional Movement Screen, like that's a pretty yes. general um, personal personal trainer certification, yes. more or less.
1: Yeah, that, I've seen that, that at about. a bunch of different places, and I've seen. I've I've had someone give me a score, I guess. there was like yes. this like thing you put on the ground and like I <laughs> was doing all these different movements and there was like I guess a number of different movements and they score you on each one that's weak. Am I remembering that Correct.
2: correctly? Correct. Yeah, functional movement screening. Because not all of our listeners
1: are familiar with that.
2: Yeah, basically the idea is to sort of like you would take you would go to the doctor and get a blood pressure reading. It's a screening, it's designed to put people in buckets. So if you uh, score adequately on the screen, then it says, "You know what? You're you're generally good. Go train, okay? Um, mm-hmm. You scored sort of. There's some uh, there's some sort of yellow lights here. We should probably feel free to train in these patterns, but hold off. Let's let's work on improving your movement in these patterns before you start training them for fitness and strength and endurance. And then you could also um, sort of have a movement pattern that really doesn't work well and then it's like you know what um, you had pain with that movement for, for example go see somebody who specializes in therapy perhaps or a doctor to get that pain figured out before it's safe to train so the functional movement screen is simply a screening process for us as a trainer to make sure that we're doing we're putting people in the right place and so while that was very useful uh, you know I, I, I sort of wanted to do more for my clients I didn't want to just say, hey, uh, all right, cool, go, go off to the physical therapist. I mean, uh, that's fine, but what I have found is not everybody's as motivated as, as us to train and do what we need to do. Sort of, it's not as, you know, it's just easy. If somebody can come in and, and have a thorough movement assessment and be, uh, given some, some drills to do that's going to help them move better, you don't necessarily need, need to have a medical background for that. And so that's where I come in and, and, um, I just need to make sure that I'm operating within my scope of practice and, and not, I don't, you know, treat pain. It's just, a mat, it's just a convenience thing where a client can come in, they have a movement issue, and by working on that movement issue, uh, they, can, they can improve in, in their sport much more quickly. Um, and it saves them a trip to another professional.
1: And, so, and, and physical therapy, the scope of physical therapy is so wide now too. I mean, it, it, I think yeah. that can just even money the waters even more. Um, yeah. Depending on whether you're out of network and, and and you're you're getting a lot of attention, or you're in network and getting like ten minutes, and just really understanding that, just I, I love the idea of being able to kind of just just take it to the next step.
2: Yeah, and it's very it's very nice as a as a running coach, but a, and a movement professional. I I want to be in a network of other like minded movement professionals. For example, um, I definitely align with uh, several other health practitioners like um, osteopaths and medical doctors and physical therapists, chiropractors, and they all, we, we sort of share this common theme, which is we're movement-focused, so we don't lose sight of that. And sometimes it makes sense for me to refer a client in their direction, and then a lot of times they'll refer a client in my direction. And that way we can all work together, and we all speak a bit of a common language. That's super helpful.
1: Makes sense.
0: Right, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that you kind of mentioned you, you want to... Focus on more of the cause rather than yes, than the yes. byproducts of what it could be, which essentially is what PT would do. Depends on where mm-hmm. you're going. Depends on your coverage, like John I mentioned. But um, and not always
1: though. Like there's a lot. Of, I think medicine across oh, across a lot of different areas is is guilty of treating the symptom. the symptom. Yeah, you know, and even physical therapy. And again, look, I'm not. I'm there's some really great physical therapists out there. I'm not coming mm-hmm. down on the profession necessarily, mm-hmm. but. You know, it's it's really easy to say, oh, you have plantar fasciitis. Let's let's treat the planner, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, or the the fascia. But it's
2: like it's like any profession. There's people that want to keep learning and getting to the the quote truth. And then there's people that sort of learn what they learn, and then they're good, and then they kind of, sure, you know, it's yeah. sort of like an, like that in any profession. 100%.
0: And, like that, like, that that takes some time to learn, to just, like, oh, yeah, they're all the same, and uh, they're not. Yeah, um, they're really not. But, yeah,
2: you. Yeah. so you were asking about NKT. Um, yeah, yeah take us through that a
0: little bit because that's on your website, and that's yes. kind of what I went to see you for. I tried to
1: listen to a video of uh, this David guy. And David it, Weinstock, and sure. it just totally lost me. Uh, well, well, and, and not was in, in a good way. Like it was super complicated. I was like, maybe I'll wait to talk to John about this. Yeah, g-
2: good idea. And I'll I'll be honest. I mean, my first time uh, going to the course, which was I think February of two thousand thirteen, uh, I I remember going to this class thinking sweet i'm gonna to go to this class and then i'll have all the answers and then life like will be really good but unfortunately what really happened was i realized how much i didn't know and how much work i had to put in and uh, as someone who thought they understood movement quite well i really was uh, sort of blown away at how much i had to learn as a trainer uh, our our anatomy knowledge as a profession is sort of rudimentary. And what I found out was that my anatomy knowledge had to get a lot better in order to uh, more thoroughly assess movement. And then I, it, uh, neurokinetic therapy involves very, very light muscle testing, or sometimes we'll call it movement testing because when you're testing a, a movement, there's more than one muscle involved. But uh, there was a skill you had to learn there. You had to learn the protocol to uh, help people figure out, out uh, what muscle is compensating for what. And then there was uh, sort of just your ability to observe movement had to improve. So all of these things, I I realized, like, oh, wow, I have a lot to learn here. And uh, one of the – well, so I'll talk about uh, neurokinetic therapy in a second. But one of the things that really just, I think, was uh, was sort of a turning point was when I – when I went home after that course, I was kind of like a deer in headlights. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. I just went to this course. I spent this money. Uh, and uh, and that's a, a bit of a common experience with people who go to this course. But these days, there are study groups and there's a lot of online support. And so it's really up to the practitioner to um, attend local study groups or get more online course material and then the biggest thing of all is that they can't be afraid to fail and that's a big stumbling block a lot of people that try to uh, learn neurokinetic therapy they go to level one and then they don't progress through levels two and three mainly because they get into practice and they don't feel like they know what they're doing and so they don't use it. And if, of course, you don't use it, you're not going to get very good at it. So um, yeah, just not being afraid to fail and maybe, you know, you got to do some work outside of the clinic or practice and, and um, you, you have to ask some, some willing victims if they'd be your guinea pig. So uh, there was a lot, there was absolutely, there still is a little bit of failure with this, but that's how you learn.
0: And, and that's like literally like never going to end. And I think we talked it's about this past, but it's like it kind of, it's terrifying to like learn something and look back at something else that you were doing that you <laughs> thought was This like, has happened right, so many times. Working. It's happened exactly. all the time. So anybody listening who uh, I'm, I'm training now or later, like I'm sorry in advance for doing yes. whatever I'm doing yes. wrong. So um, but, uh but it's true. And like, you know, and it is always, like I've had great success with what the things that you're doing. So I'm obviously mm-hmm. like, okay, it works, but I'm a case of one. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's times where you're, 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 trying to test things out and you're, and it's the same with, like you said, just putting together a perfect running plan and then still having getting people, people getting hurt or yes. as a personal trainer and people not getting the results that someone else might. So, um, but yeah, NKT itself, like, sure. What does it boil down to? Like, uh, you mentioned it being about compensations, yes. how things are tied to each other um but like yeah. what is so, the therapy
2: yeah so neurokinetic therapy helps a practitioner identify uh what specifically is compensating for what so for example if you um have a problem with a particular movement let's say that every time you you do a uh, oh let's call it a uh, a pull up you feel elbow pain Well, that's pretty common, and you are being coached by a knowledgeable strength coach, and even though the form looks very good, the person's still getting elbow pain. Well, what's going on there is that the way the person's organizing that movement uh, is inefficient. They can make it look good, but they're compensating. They might be using a little too much of their uh, forearm, one forearm muscle, and a little too... Too little of another forearm muscle, or maybe they they are their lat is uh, not working as well as it should because of a previous injury to your shoulder. So neurokinetic therapy helps you quickly narrow down what is compensating for what, and then quite simply, you the the uh, the way it works is you would give the client homework to do every day. Uh, I usually give clients two sets twice a day, and basically. Uh, with neurokinetic therapy you're going to release the overworking structure it could be a muscle it could be a ligament it can be just a random spot that you that we find to be relevant Um, but basically that spot gets released and that just simply means it gets massaged or stretched and there's a lot of different release techniques out there honestly it doesn't um, most of the time it doesn't matter but you can just simply massage that spot and then you have a window of opportunity where the motor control system is open to learning after that release so right after that release which might be 30 to 60 seconds you would then perform a movement that previously was compensated so in the example of that elbow issue we you might release a forearm muscle and then activate um, your lat for example and then basically by doing that sequence a couple times a day, usually within a week or two, that compensation pattern's gone. And because you, basically you've given your body a much more efficient way to move, and the body always is going to choose the most efficient way to do the task given what's available to the body. So it has no reason to go back to old patterns unless you overdo it again. So you, for example, as a runner, one of our issues is we're battling fatigue, especially in big sessions or races and if you the the more fatigue you you get you might fall back into old patterns so that's why it's important to do this kind of homework repeatedly um usually for a couple of weeks to make it more permanent and so um that's basically nkt in a nutshell
1: does it does it ever go to the get to the point of of weakness as opposed to just activation yeah where, so, where, like in, in a way to kind of th- Differentiate that um, mm-hmm. or, and maybe because that's the way I've always thought about it there's a compensation maybe there's a weakness but it's not always what you're saying is not always just a weakness it could just be a, a, like that muscle is just asleep, I guess for the lack of a better yeah. word
2: you know the more I the more I study um, I have to be I'm always like I'm getting more careful about the words that I'll choose and uh, I'm just going to use uh, I'm going to use uh, Rich we were working on uh, the, the symptom was a, a knee pain and then what we found was that I think really an old ankle sprain was at the root of the situation. Huh. And so um, I use not only neurokinetic therapy, but I I studied something called Anatomy in Motion and their website's Finding Center and that's C-E-N-T-R-E dot uh, co dot UK. So it's um, a fantastic course that really uses gait as a way to teach, um, to, to go in deep and, and teach how people move. Um, and when you understand how somebody's sup- supposed to walk sort of in this idealized um, manner, you, you quickly learn that every single joint in the body should be able to experience movement and most of them need to experience it in three planes of motion. So that's a lot of uh, information right there. Um, but when I watch somebody move, all I'm looking for is is, that, is, is everything able to move the way it's supposed to, or is it not? And um, even though somebody's symptom might be, let's say, in the knee, um, when you my, my basic process is that I, I sort of interview the person and find out more about their history, and I'm listening for traumas and injuries, um, and maybe even sort of like very stressful things that might've happened to them. Um, uh, but you know, it's really important to understand where the person's coming from because usually a muscle, it's, it's, it's not the muscle that's the problem. It's usually a symptom. So if a muscle is weak or tight, um, and often it's tight and weak, especially if you're getting a symptom, I find that neurologically that muscle's actually probably, um, not being not experiencing sort of that stretch and contract or we might say load and explode and it's getting weaker and that's and your brain's picking up on that it's like oh my god this is an area of weakness uh symptom here you go you should be aware of the situation it's very sort of uh unstable and um so with anatomy and motion i'm better able to analyze how somebody's moving and sort of put these pieces of the puzzle together so with rich's ankle we found that Um, although it generally moved okay he was missing one critical ingredient which is um, he wasn't able to to supinate his foot very well and so all that means is it's like when your foot's flat on the ground um, the foot should should initially start pronating and then it's sort of like a trampoline. The bottom of the foot, that the arches flatten, and then they start to rise up again. And that rising up is your foot beginning to supinate and ultimately you would toe off and your foot would be maximally supinated. And generally what happens with an injury is your body is gonna sort of wanna avoid the injurious movement. So if you sprain your ankle and then you go to walk, you're probably not gonna wanna move the, the ligaments that were injured. So you will quickly in that moment figure out a way to get around without using those injured ligaments without loading them. And so what commonly happens is that um, that, that compensation that is set up in the moment that sticks. And even though the uh, symptom goes away, the, the tissue heals and the uh, motor control problem usually ex- pre- just exists forever at, at that point. so. The, the the problem that I think most people tend to have is they um, they get assessed and they they stretch and strengthen things, but they're missing that motor control piece of the puzzle. And I found it that's a huge like missing link. And so neurokinetic therapy helps with that. Anatomy and motion has helped me better assess and and offer people um, some movement experiences that they probably wouldn't get with your garden variety quote PT exercises, where you know you're you're clenching your toes or you're you know, strengthening things. Um, this is like Rich, we were practicing a movement where you had to shift your weight and then and twist your body, and that's basically to encourage that ankle to experience a movement that it had been avoiding. And so then once your body found that movement useful, it's gonna choose, obviously, it's if it's more efficient and it's easier for you to walk and run, it's definitely going to choose that that movement and um, there's really no reason that your body would go back to how things were um, because your body's moving efficiently it's it's safe to do that movement and uh, as long as you don't sprain your ankle again but if you do you now have the uh
0: the answer (laughs) how to fix it and and that was something for that i'm trying to like explain to people it's like well there's movements that you may have forgotten how to do and just kind of reteach your body how to do these movements that are natural and um, mm-hmm. You use the phrase, I think, blank dark space or blank space. Yes, a dark
2: dark zone. Yes, <laughs> um,
0: and and the the anatomy in motion and the NKT seem to work pretty well together. Yes, um, brilliantly it, together. Was that something you came up with on your own, or is it well, like kind really. of, uh, or do they kind of like okay, like this will help? Do they work together? They they do work nicely
2: together. I don't think they were ever intended to go together, but it's sort of just like as a practitioner. You're looking for tools in your toolbox that will help people move better. Mm. And um, uh, Gary Ward, who, who started Anatomy in Motion, and um, David Weinstock of Neurokinetic Therapy, they they uh, sort of linked up, and, and there was a, a bit of discussion on the... Uh, the Facebook group forum and people were talking about how well they went together. And I thought, well, geez, you know, as a running person, I really need to learn more about this anatomy and motion stuff. So, um, yeah, so So it was kind of just a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. But they do go really well together.
0: And and like in my experience, again, I can only speak to myself, but I had Mm -hmm. a foot issue that would hurt so bad and it hurt forever. And it's just kind of like one of those things you hear about PF just being this chronic thing and like it's like knocked out some runners like for good. Um, But I almost experienced like an instant relief um, Mm. that was really kind of – it was almost like it didn't even need to heal. It just had to learn to move. Like it was more of that signal that just was getting sent as opposed to like something actually being damaged. Um, Yeah. Is that common? Like is that something that you have found like once you start to move – Like, I'm not saying, like, you could say instantly fix somebody, but, like, I kind of experienced that. Like, it hurt forever, and then it just didn't hurt. uh,
2: That's always amazing when that happens. I (laughs) sort of don't go in with that expectation. But when – what I've been finding is when you truly find the the root issue – so, like, for you, it might have been the ankle sprain – um, for another person, might be a concussion, for another person, it might be when they fell on their tailbone, you know, stuff like that. Uh, a surgery, you've had kids and you've had a c-section and um, these these uh, sort of traumas or insults to the body that happen, they they create the need for compensation and what when when somebody starts um, telling me their injury history, most of the time they're quick to go to the running-related injuries mm. like palantar fasciitis and stuff like that and I've been, I've been sort of thinking of these injuries as symptoms and the whole plantar fasciitis or fasciosis. It's basically like, hey, your body's stuck in a pattern right now. When you organize the movement of running, you can only do it um, this certain way. And um, not to go on a, too much of a tangent, but there's a difference between the style of running and then what your body's actually capable of doing. So I could, um, I could sort of have a lot of meaningful movement compensations, but I could still make it look pretty if I just practiced, you know, <laughs> running more tall and uh, having a proper cadence. And those kinds of running sort of um, pieces of advice, those are all great. It's just that you're—they're not going to address the underlying issue, which may be that your head can't move properly, or your pelvis can't move, or your foot can't move. Um, and so, when you address that—that that thing that can't experience movement—and now it finally can, you—you you have now changed how your body can move. I mean, imagine if you have a, a a brace on your ankle and you go for a walk. I mean, the ankle can't move, so. You can still walk. It's just not very efficient. And then if you take that brace off, all of a sudden your body can move freely and much more efficiently. So with with stuff like plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendon, any of these sort of common running issues, um, most of the time the person's stuck in a pattern. We just have to identify what pattern they're stuck in and offer their bodies a chance to, to move a little differently. And usually it, it, it gets... It it uh, it starts with identifying the thing. There's probably one or two things that just can't experience movement. Um, so with, in, with that, John, case, like like is
1: yeah. the is is the thing just like overuse or just too much volume or just
2: not usually maybe? But I find the sort of um, uh, trauma history to be most relevant. So ankle sprains are super common. Nobody ever thinks they're any big deal because, of course, they, they heal and you're, quote, good. But actually, your movement typically changes uh, meaningfully. And a lot of times, these injuries, they happen, and then weeks, months, even years later, a symptom happens. So most of the time, um, I usually get the best results when I have the, a, a very complete picture of, What's this person been through in life, <laughs> and what it, it, honestly it can go back to birth. so if somebody had a traumatic birth, they might have some compensations relating to their their skull bones. It's crazy I mean it's it, it's anything's possible here, and that's what you kind of have to be open-minded to and um, figuring that out just. You know, it takes a little bit of time, and so during an assessment session, I'll, I'll spend a decent amount of time just on the history, so I can start to understand what's this person been through. Why might they be moving the way they are today? Oh, oh look at this—they've uh, <laughs> been in a car crash and a skiing yeah.
0: accident and sprained both. R-
1: R- Rich, Rich gave away a spear. Did he tell you that? So maybe
0: he—that—that's uh... the traumatic thing. <laughs> um, oh no. So the uh... <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, so like the uh... so you said it is like some weird stuff and uh that when i was telling um john williams about you he was kind of mentioned like oh is it like kind of like woo woo type of stuff and like you you've like during the process it is kind of odd it's like okay you rub your head and then um doing some other things and like how it affects your body elsewhere and like even some either like weirder uh like shit that you don't wouldn't think would make sense um yeah. so like when you and I don't want to like go into if this is like part of the secret sauce but like do you try to explain this to people like how yeah. do you do it like because yeah if well, you want to touch on some of it a little bit like that's cool because <laughs> it is it's interesting because it is it's something that's eye-opening when everything we try to look at everything black and white it's like strength mm-hmm. or compensation when there's these elements of like stress yeah. that you had yeah. talked about so um, yeah yeah
2: well, you know what, um, the more I learn, um, I realize that we, we move the way we do, um, not only based on, um, I don't know, our strength and our, our training and our injury history, but there's other stuff that can affect us. I mean, if you had a, uh, um, I'll, I'll just say this, so movement compensation can be rooted in usually uh, three areas. It can be rooted in... Um, Previous emotional like a big emotional experience that can actually change how you move you can imagine just if somebody you can look at somebody whose posture is absolutely terrible and you probably can make a quick insight about what's going on in their life or what they've been through um, somebody who's sort of really hunched over you can sort of infer a little bit about their psychology just by their posture so movement and emotion are very much linked together emotion is one source of movement compensation Um, physiological problems so if somebody has a great example is digestive issues Um, our muscles and our organs are innervated by the same nerves and so you can have movement compensation that's actually rooted in a physiological problem so um for example you might have a a a um a core that is a, a little bit is functioning less efficiently because of digestive problem um, you may not be getting certain enough nutrients you might have an inflammatory situation um, and also you can have movement compensation related to mechanical stressors like injury like we talked about so um, I'm starting to learn much more about those three buckets and how they can contribute to movement compensation and uh, yeah, so during a session i 'm very aware that this type of assessment process isn 't yet common, and so i 'm taking my time to explain what i 'm doing and usually i 'll start very sort of uh, superficial you know let me watch you move and i 'm just sort of using my eyes and um, uh, gathering some information there i 've taken a history and then when it 's time to do neurokinetic therapy um we'll sort of lay down on the on the treatment table and then I'll, I'll introduce them to the concept of very light muscle testing. So instead of checking their strength, like graded muscle testing is looking for a, how strong somebody is and they might get a score of one to five. Five's like really strong and one's really weak. I'm not really uh, interested in how strong or weak they are. I'm interested in how well they can respond how appropriate can they respond to my stimulus so when i'm pressing on somebody's let's say their leg i say hold your leg up in the air and i'm going to press on your leg they need a certain amount of uh, perception to detect how hard i'm pressing and the rate at which i'm changing my pressure and if their perception is good then they will be able to offer me the same the uh accurate like uh, the appropriate response which is they're going to be able to match my pressure they can feel my pressure and they can respond appropriately. That's what we're looking for with neurokinetic therapy. We're not so interested in how strong or weak somebody is, more, uh, it's more about perception. And if you can perceive, if you have good awareness of a particular body part, you're gonna be able to match the pressure, no problem. It's, it's almost effortless. Whereas if you don't have good awareness, and that goes back to why, we have to figure out why, but if you don't have good awareness of a particular body part or a particular movement, I'll easily be able to start moving your leg, for example, when I press on it and because I'm testing so lightly, you can't pick up on the, on the subtle uh, changes in my pressure. Whereas if your perception was, was okay, you'd easily be able to match my pressure. So I usually do a little bit of uh, upfront practice before we start just testing everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Do you ever get pushback? or people like, no, man, like I I squat 400 pounds, like what are we doing? Like what are we testing here?
2: Yeah. And that I definitely, um, sometimes I'll tell you who, uh, who's, they're, they're sort of like people that, um, it's the first time I get it. It's the first time they're experiencing this type of assessment and they're,
0: they're like, what is, and we're back on, (laughs) we're, we're back in it. Um, So, John, I honestly forget what you were talking about. I had a bit of a a break there. But um, something I am curious about are are some of the most common, like, injuries or issues that you've seen. And it seems like all these injuries are, like, because they are based in someone's history, they're probably different from from everyone that you see. But is there, like, a common thread amongst runners? Or is there something that you, like, a hierarchy of, like, the way people get hurt? Or is it just completely random?
2: You know what unfortunately it is it is pretty random I mean um, two people I mean ten people could have the same uh, sort of running injury let's call it like patella femoral syndrome uh, you know impingement syndrome or something like that like where their um, their kneecap quote, isn't tracking very well and um, it can be due to vastly different reasons and so that's why this assessment process is so valuable because otherwise you're doing sort of cookie cutter exercises and protocols that may be helping, but I think what ha- what happens a lot of times when it comes to stretch and strengthen type work is that you do make the person more resilient so they can handle the training, but you're not actually changing the way they move. So the underlying issues are still there. So people could have knee pain, um, but it could be due to an ankle, Problem, a hip problem, all the way up. It could be due to you had a head injury. So there's a million different possibilities, um, and so yeah. So unfortunately, to get to the truth for yourself, you definitely want to get assessed. And so uh, yeah, that's the that's the answer.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. John Williams, have you had any like old injuries that you're thinking about, or have you really had running injuries, John?
1: I've been pretty lucky. Knock on wood. Um, you know, I have these like normal things that when I pick up my volume or start back and running that I feel and I I expect them and I know they're coming and I work through them and once once I get over this hump they're typically not there. I did have a little bit of plantar fasciitis for the first time. Um, it was like when I when I increased volume at a certain point. Um, I did like a grassin kind of a thing, um, and that seemed to seemed to nip it in the bud. I also, you know, pulled back my volume a little bit and was a little smarter about that, but but I but I have to say like just in general my my experience with um just just a lot of things and maybe as I get older I have an, more of, of an open mind to um to, to to the approach of of just really really everything, you know, especially with the running and injuries and um and and what I see is like the same like people having the same injuries and doing the same things. um And really, the the thing that works works the best is the 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 last thing that worked for someone that you know, Um, and Mm. I often think like there there's probably more there's definitely more to it, and there is a little bit of faith, and there are certain things out there that, and I don't know what what the like a lot of the the um, the science says about this. It sounds like it's a pretty new thing. Would you say, John? Like this whole like um, fairly new concept. Yeah,
2: absolutely. There's literally. Very, very new. And I think what's really happening here with with the approach that I'm taking is I'm utilizing a lot of different things and I'm blending them together. So it's tough, you know, to get, uh, quote, evidence on... um, I mean, (laughs) there's evidence to support muscle testing, but, you know, it's uh, really up to the practitioner to understand where to go, um, how to use these different tools... And so I think some people get stuck. They're waiting for evidence. Meanwhile, I'm out there getting darn good results. So Yeah, and that's the you know, the, sort of you the the
1: know there's that like result-based things. evidence, right? Like that result-based evidence you're getting. And I see yeah, that with a lot of things. Yeah. Like people say to me like, "Well, well show me the study that proves that." And I'm like, "Well, here's somebody who it worked for." Like Here's an experience. Show me yeah. show me why it did and and so I, I think that more and more and i i, I like and I think just from a, a personal experience, I would probably I think people just they have to have an open mind and try something and I think runners they get to a point to your point of saying like this mm-hmm. you get the person who's in there This is the first stop they make, but they just get frustrated they're like oh my God, I've tried X, Y, and Z, and, and hey, have you tried the mm-hmm. Strasburg sock? Yeah, I've tried the Strasburg sock. Have you tried the boot while sleeping? Yeah, I've tried the boot while sleeping. You know, oh, have you tried a orthotic? Yeah, I've tried an orthotic. You know what I mean? Like, there's the list of things you go down, and then here you are three, four, five months later. And Still I just mean anything. that in general, mm-hmm. too. Like, why, like well, here, like, give this a shot. And obviously, Rich is, has that anecdotal proof, as we would call it, um, mm-hmm. that really, it reminds me a lot of... Um, with running specifically of the whole barefoot running boom, and i that really drove me nuts as a as a sales rep, and just like but there because there was a lot of truth to it, like like a lot of really good th- nuggets in there, like sure, you change your proprioception, and I had knee pain, and i don 't have it now, and like all all these things but there mm-hmm. there still isn 't with running even running technology there isn 't a lot of s- because there's really no way to get it. You get 100 runners, you have them run, and you say, oh, some of them are injured, some of them aren't. Some of them wore like a, a good pair of shoes, and other ones did it. There's really no way, unfortunately, to get right. like a really great study to understand running form, and you change your running form, you're running on your forefoot, you're running on your heel. I think you, you understand what I'm getting at. Is like, I think that there, there's definitely it's that. You have to have correct. an open mind.
2: Yeah and you have to understand you're an n of 1 and it's quite difficult to do a study on average runners because I'm going to tell you right now no one moves perfectly so when you're doing a study you're studying people who are moving imperfectly so it's right. really tough to come to some conclusions so many sometimes. variables yeah yeah and um a quick a quick note about the barefoot running or uh, whether it's shoes or barefoot, maximal cushion, minimum cushion, these are all just um, oh, sort of like uh, superficial. They're not—they're not gonna. Ch- they might change how somebody's experiencing their running, but they're not gonna change how you're moving in a way that's gonna be meaningful and like, like life-changing, so, so to speak. And so, if you decide to take a barefoot running because you think it might be the answer. It's not gonna fix the 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 pelvis that doesn't move or the head that doesn't move or the, you know, the body part that's that's struggling to move. So you're still you still have your issues. You're just you know sort of masking it, and um, you, you're ultimately gonna have to address it at some point. I one one time I had a little <laughs> a, a post somewhere, and it was talking about um, maximal cushion shoes and. I was just saying, you know, they're, they're sort of a Band-Aid, but but anything could be considered a Band-Aid, and that's okay if it helps you enjoy the thing you enjoy. For example, you have knee issues, and the only way you can run is by using a very highly cushioned shoe. That's cool, but, you know, I'm a pretty motivated person. My, I, my, one of my core values, for sure, is health. So I want to do things that are going to help me um, be healthier, and one of those things is to move better, so that I can run in whatever the heck shoe I want to run in. So that's that's yeah. where I'm coming from. Is I'm trying to give people more options. I don't want you to have to rely on a knee brace or an orthotic, for example. You know, let's 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 continuously start um, work on moving better, so that you can not only reach your goals, but you're you're going to enjoy whatever activity you want to enjoy
0: for sure and you and you mentioned you have um, you do some online stuff right Uh, like yes do you try to like is this something for like people listening who like don't have you as a resource like how are you able to implement this for people who you don't see and touch and 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 do the NKT deal like can you implement this to people like can anyone from home like how can they like take these steps to learn what they're how they're not moving well
2: um, yeah, fantastic question. So, in fact, it is possible to have a, have a pretty thorough movement assessment and then um, start to make progress on your own. I haven't done a ton of that. I was just thinking to myself, you know, that's something that I want to work on in the upcoming year is to get better at like a, a Skype type of assessment. Um, but I did have a, an assessment with somebody who provided this service via Skype. And this is somebody who's studied anatomy and motion very intimately. She's gone to, uh, the course she's taken the course like five times. Mm. And, um, the reason is that just like you you probably have a favorite movie. You keep seeing things that you didn't see the first time. And that's what happens with anatomy and motion. It's just that you can go a mile deep into it. And so, um, Uh, Her name is Margie Verba, and her website's called Flow Motion Therapy. So I would definitely recommend, if anybody wants an online type of assessment, check her out. She's amazing. She actually helped me with an issue. Um, But you could also go to that findingcenter.co.uk, and they have a great video resource where you can start to learn a little bit more about your body we don't know what we don't know and it's the same with movement so you might not have any clue that your uh, your pelvis rotates to the right more easily than it does to the left so the first step in this process is to become more aware of what moves really easily and what doesn't. And so there's a great um, video resource. It's like 10 bucks or something like that at findingcenter.co.uk and it's called Wake My Body Up. And that is basically um, Gary Ward from Anatomy in Motion going through the whole body, sort of head to toe and just checking in with your body to see can my hip do this? Can my hip do that? And you're, you're starting to identify what moves really well and no problem. And then what, what might struggle? And that's very valuable because then you're learning about your body and you're, you can now start to focus on things that you need to improve, not just, you know, a laundry list of stretches that, uh, you should be doing because everybody said so.
0: Cool. And that, and that makes total sense to, to take that into your own hands. Like you said, you mentioned motivation a couple times here and, a lot of times, mm-hmm. runners—they are those people who are going to be self-starters and get out the door, um, and mm-hmm. they don't need that handholding. So, this is something that—those th- are definitely some resources that I would absolutely recommend people checking out. Um, and you're hosting a seminar. Are you hosting a seminar in um, October? I saw on NKT site. Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, the the, uh, the training studio where I work is called Mass Fit, and we're hosting two awesome uh, movement seminars. First one is uh, Neurokinetic Therapy Level One. That's going to be October 12th and 13th. And then two weeks later, uh, my buddy Joseph Schwartz, who's a practitioner based out of Colorado, he has his own movement assessment course called Dynamic Neuromuscular Assessment. And that I would recommend for more advanced practitioners, people maybe who have already, (coughs) excuse me, They've, they utilize muscle testing in their practice or maybe they've done some movement assessment and they're looking to take things to the next level. And I'm very excited about that one because I, earlier I mentioned that movement compensation can come from not only mechanical issues, for example, the ankle sprain or the old surgery that you had, but you can have movement compensation that's rooted in emotional sources. It's rooted in physiological sources. And so this, this course starts to get into that. Um, those weeds there so definitely excited
0: to learn more nice very cool and um john so you're a runner right absolutely so and uh if you don't want me asking, how old are you now 41 nice so you and you're on the track right yeah i definitely
2: have done all sorts of race distances but man i love short distance 400 800 mile i love those distances
0: that's what we've actually had a couple of um that is that matt that's masters right Yes, yeah. <laughs> we actually had some master's level athletes that um, on uh, earlier who are still banging at the track. Uh, yeah, so yeah, talk to us a little bit about your training. What do you got going on?
2: Well, my, um, my goal race this year is the Fifth Avenue Mile, which is only three days away or something like that. It's yes, okay. this it's Sunday. It's weekend. Yeah, yeah. S- S- September 8th. So I'm pretty excited. Um, I ran my fastest mile ever at that race just two years ago. So, um, last year my appendix ruptured, which was terrible. And I had a, a, man, it just took, it was one of those, uh, just disasters of a, of a situ, of a surgery and the surgery actually was successful, but there was complications and it just took me, I mean, honestly, it just took like a full year to sort of totally get back. So I'm pumped to Yikes. return to this race that I love and it's just fun racing against your age group. And, um, uh, yeah definitely looking forward to some indoor track this uh, this winter.
1: Yeah cool. Have, have you connected with the guys over in downtown in Philadelphia Runner? Do you know Ra- those guys down there or is there, uh, is there groups that because uh, Ross yeah. the owner was was my roommate in college? The um, only reason I ask is I was curious uh, with like what' a yeah, pretty pretty good scene down there. Is there a group that you get together with do you just do some training with or anything like or are you kind of just like flying solo most of the time?
2: Um, You know, the group that they have is definitely pretty fast, and I don't know how much they focus on super short distance. I know those guys definitely yeah. hammer out fast, you know, 5K, 10K, marathon stuff. But no, I've tended to train by myself. I actually lead a group called Philly Surge Running, which is a track group that um, myself and a fellow coach named Carrie Smith we coach this group every Tuesday at Temple's Track, and we basically target adult distance runners who want to get faster and want to train in a more, you know, sort of legit way, not just work out of the day kind of style. Cool. So we have a progression that goes through the year. And so I've made a lot of friends with the people that show up, and sometimes I'll, we'll sort of train together. And we might do, you know, different paces, but, but um, it's really fun to have some training partners. I mean, that's just definitely one of the most... Uh, fun aspects of the sport is the social aspect.
1: Absolutely that's why I asked. That's great. Um, yeah and the, the, mm-hmm.
0: the Philly search thing is, is really cool. Like, We'll definitely link, link to those things and um, so I was telling John Goldthorpe last time I was in there I was over banging at uh, Belmont and John Williams knows Belmont Plateau very well <laughs> and uh, fun fact about John Goldthorpe is that he has the fastest segment of on Parachute Hill. Oh, uh, no, Strava. Going up. Oh, God. Going up. Don't tell anybody oh, really? this. Come on. <laughs> no, what's the know segment? What, what's the do? segment?
1: I wonder if, like, when...
0: I think it's just from the base the segment, to the top. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Strava, you can, you can turn any segment of road or trail into, quote, a segment. And the idea is that anybody who runs on that segment... Uh, is now sort of tracked, and and uh, you can see who runs the fastest time on that
0: segment. So, so John, Williams, so, you need to get your shit together. Yeah. So wait, no. When when I it. when
1: I was when I was racing, it, it, I don't think Strava existed. So I got I got to get, get back out there. Now
0: you got to get it back together. John, <laughs> when, did, uh, uh, when did you set that uh, fastest known time, if you will, on Strava?
2: <laughs> well. That was 2015, which oh, um, wow. I, I was thinking about it, and it actually, yeah, 2015, so yeah, like four years, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like stunned no one's beaten it since then, and I'm also a little bit college
0: like, there. no shame
2: or whatever, but when I see the 5K guys, they're only, yeah, They're well, I, don't, I guess they're not using, using Strava, which, you know, they're lost or whatever.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine but, uh-huh. Or maybe no no no, no if you're either.
1: racing so like even if even if yeah. like someone's um, racing the course like they're but even then like they're probably not
0: but even even we, it's as not as you're not gonna go you're down. not gonna
1: hammer that like, no no
0: no but like we would go and do repeats in on parachute like we would use yeah but they would be you training. would go up
1: you would go up and oh you mean parachute okay so yeah so you would go up and usually yeah. dip that back down and then back up and then come back down right rich like when you, you do an interval there like a big loop
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're just talking about yeah, from the base. Have you tried like, it, Rich?
1: Have yeah, you dude, tried?
0: I'm, mine's like fifth. John's smoked mine. He's like under a minute. Only <laughs> yeah. went under a minute is like fifty eight seconds. I was like one oh five and like puking. <laughs> All out. Uh, but, yeah. Eh, yeah, I mean like ninety eight percent. If I wanted to go faster, so he's it wasn't got, be much.
1: So faster. he's got some some wheels, some of that four hundred speed.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, I, you know, that was the thing.
2: Like, I got to about thirty years old, and I was like, "What am I doing with these marathons? Like, I suck. Like, I am not, I'm not cut out <laughs> for it. I'm just like way better at short distance. I, in fact, this was this this speaks to it, right? So I went up to uh, the armory this past December, and so I'd fully recovered from the appendix thing. I'd started some speed work. Um, I wanted to qualify to run in the Milrose Games. They had a 4x400 four for Masters runners. So, hey, now that I'm 40, let's do it. Let's get in these uh, right, Masters yeah. races. So I roll up. The traffic was terrible. I had no time to warm up. I literally did about 10 lunges, and I had to race a 400 meters all out. And I ran, like, 56 seconds. <laughs> and and didn't tear a muscle, which Not bad. I think that was a miracle. But, um, <laughs> that's a huge but yeah,
0: it's like yeah. the speed like part, you know, that's kind of...
2: Yeah, so I just am like, wait, I need to stop it with the marathons and focus on a little what I'm good at, and I just enjoy it, and I'm better at it, so it's a win-win.
0: Um, what was Gary, Gary, uh, Garmin Gary's record, that he, or his streak that he has? It's like 35 it's 30, years. Of,
1: it's 35 years of breaking five minutes in the mile. Um,
0: and how, yeah. old, how old is Gary?
1: Uh, he's early 50s, 53, 54
0: so I'm sure you've seen him around, because he does he does the local races, right? He does the, the miles well, that are around here.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, well, I think there's he he's listening? more like North Jersey. Gary Rosenberg, he's the rep for Garmin. How many, fa- how many for fast Garmin. miles are
0: there for, uh, for uh, Masters? Like a lot of it love- is, like,
1: a lot of times he'll just do it himself, though. Like, it's not necessarily... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, he'll, he'll have someone come down with him and do, and like, just to, to clip it off, to check it off his list. But also, do, he'll do a lot of the armory races. So, like, he uses that indoor one. He'll will knock that out in the beginning of the year just to get it over with. He'll use that. Those yeah. those are great races. Like, there's just like I think it costs like five ten bucks. You can hop in like any distance you want. Yeah. Outside of Millrose, obviously, I think they do it Thursday night at the track or, or whatever it is. But. And uh, yeah, Dave Welsh, the same yeah. thing. He's on sure. the track.
0: Dave Dave's doing miles right in eight hundreds. Yeah. Run, yeah. You know Dave? You ever run against Dave?
2: You know, I've definitely seen him um but I don't think I I don't know him and uh yeah, he's putting up some really smoking times. It's awesome to see. We
1: should connect you guys. You guys should get along. Yeah, you, you guys close. should you,
0: he's a big
2: Well, player. I might actually I'll probably meet him sooner than later cuz I'm actually doing a talk at the Haddonfield Running Company on November oh. 9th. Nice. Oh cool. So I think definitely you know plug. he's
0: he's with them, right? So that's yeah. his company. Yeah, he he's the owner, so um he might be there. He might not though. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's cool. I'm glad that, you, that you're keeping it. And just last question about the, yeah. um, you know, about some of the anatomy and motion type of, of stuff. Um, and some of the terms that you use, like since feeling better, my effort has been lower and my pace has been faster. And I don't know if it's just because I'm like feeling better that I'm able to just like run more mechanically sound or whatever it is. Like, I mean, when you're in pain, you're gonna naturally just slow down without like, like subconsciously. But do you think like proper mechanics and, and being able to use all of your motion will make you faster?
2: Yeah, I think there's two things here. Number one is when you're more efficient, you're, that literally means it costs less energy. So that's awesome. Uh, but number two, the biggest thing is that if you're more efficient, if your body's a little bit more balanced, You're going to be able to bounce back and recover from training much faster, and also you're not going to be as your injury risk is less, so you can keep training. And consistency is the number one thing. Exactly.
0: Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, am I just like faster all of a sudden, or is it because I'm like, like using everything? It's probably just because I don't feel like shit, and which is always. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that plays into it. (laughs) It does. Um, That's awesome, man. Glad to hear it dude yeah and I like I said I'm telling everybody I'm, I'm singing about it um, so I'm glad you're able to come on um, John Williams anything else for John goldthrop
1: no man this is this is great I mean it's super enlightening i I, I actually really love this stuff I, I think that they're I mean especially when I hear that there's students of of the idea because I have experience with certain things that I went into and and I hate to keep saying this but like things that I went into that I Maybe wasn't quite sure. Like ART was a was a kind of a similar type of a thing. Where I'm like, this guy just seems like it just seems different, and I was like skeptical. But like, and and so now I'm, and I had great experience with that. So I'm really I'm really glad that more people got to hear about it and uh, and uh, you know, I guess learn a little bit more. And when they're going through some injuries um, about the you know that they have that they've been struggling with, or even just in the b- very beginning. Um, that they can uh, maybe reach out to John or, or if they're not close by, maybe someone in their area that, that uh, kind of touches on these different uh, new techniques.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's the biggest thing is keeping an open mind and there are there are other things out there um, that you've tried. And even if you've tried a bunch of things and feel like things don't work for you and feel like that you just running might not be your thing, it's probably not the case. You probably just need to figure out some, um, some different avenues and just kind of keep plugging at it. So um cool so i'll we'll make sure to to plug toward all of john's socials because uh we lost him again and i'm not going to edit this thing twice so we're just going to (laughs) end it um john williams always a pleasure dude good times all right